All right, as we get the uh, TV into place and get started uh, for this time together, Galatians chapter 1 is, is where we're going to continue to be. Hopefully, your, your Bible, uh, I don't know if this works so well if you're looking on your phone that it would automatically open, but hopefully your Bible begins to fall open to, to the book of Galatians as we go through this sermon series together, uh, something that will probably take us through a good bit of the fall, maybe toward the beginning of November, something like that. But we are going to continue uh, going through the book of Galatians and seeing about the truth of the gospel as Jaron prayed about there, that that's what's set forward in the verses we're looking at together this morning. Just a couple of notes as we get started this morning that would be helpful going through Galatians. I want to remind you that we have as a church an app So on your phone, if you like to access notes or you're looking for more information, there's a simple Emmaus Baptist Church app. You're welcome to to download that and make that available. You've got some notes you can look at on there. As well, I mentioned last week, we have available in the lobby for only $2.00. These little Galatians scripture journals, I really like these particular journals. They have very wide margins. If you like to make notes as you're looking through, as you're studying personally during the week or or listening to a sermon, and then off to the right side, the right side of the page has just simple lines for taking notes. And so if you would like to have one of those Galatians scripture journals, they're available immediately after the service. If you just go out and turn to the right, you'll see a table over there to the right, and they're available for $2. If you're watching at home this morning or catching us during the week, this uh, Galatians Scripture Journal you can find online for somewhere around $5. And if you're looking for a link and having trouble finding it, just let me know, and, and I'll help you find one if, if you're not able to be here in person. Also, before we focus on these verses this morning, I want you to know that coming next week, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, going into the beginning of chapter 2. And so I would encourage you before next Sunday, read ahead on those verses. We're continuing to try to read a chapter of Romans each week. It may not correspond exactly every week, but this takes us through the book of Romans as we study Galatians. And so before next week, I encourage you, read those verses from Galatians, read Romans chapter 2. We come with our hearts prepared, excited for what the Lord has for us. This morning though, taking one day at a time, we're going to focus on Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. So let me read those for us as we, as we get started this morning. Here's what it says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. Anybody in the house struggle with people-pleasing? Anybody at home struggle with people-pleasing? Uh, now, you may be thinking, ah, I don't struggle with people-pleasing. I don't care what anybody says. 
be careful, we still have to go through Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. And when Scripture talks about not being a pleaser of people, it, it doesn't mean be a jerk. That's not the opposite of this, that how we treat one another and putting others above ourselves is, is, very, is very important. But I have to tell you personally, I have to tell you personally, I am president and CEO of the Recovering People Pleasers Group. Um, that is, unless you would like to be president, and then that would make me happy because I don't want you to feel badly. So if you want to be president, you can be. This idea of people-pleasing is something that I've had to work through a lot and, frankly, still have to work through. Amanda has often said that the best thing that ever happened to me was taking the job as the financial aid director for New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So when I was doing Ph.D. work in New Orleans— my job to support the family was to be the financial aid director for the seminary, which meant consistently I had to tell people no. <laughs> consistently I had to say, I'm sorry, we don't have any money to give you. I'm sorry I can't do this. I, you know what, financial aid director, school administrator, you know another job that's really hard if you're a people pleaser? Pastoring is another job that is difficult when you struggle with people-pleasing. Now, we live in a world where people-pleasing is just so hard because how are you ever going to please everyone in our world? But in some sense, people-pleasing has never been more appealing or never been easier because our world is so polarized that if you just say the right things, you can get people on your side very quickly and drive other people away from you. Now, as we think about this morning, this idea of people pleasing, we think about this idea, what is most dangerous and what Paul is dealing most directly with here in these verses is the idea that in order to please people, we would change the message of the gospel. That in order to please people, we would change the message of the gospel, which we know never changes. This weekend, we lost two giants of the 20th century. John Lewis, and also a gentleman named J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer was one of the great theologians and, and Christian authors of the 20th century. And I want to begin this morning, as we get in these verses, of reading a Packer quote for you. It's going to be up here on the screen, and also up on uh, the screen behind us. Whatever cultural shifts take place around us, whatever social and political concerns claim our attention, whatever anxieties we may feel about the church as an institution, can I just tell you, Packer didn't write this yesterday. <laughs> he wrote this years ago, but think of how astute this is. Whatever we may feel about the church, Jesus Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and now in the power of his atonement Calling, drawing, welcoming, pardoning, renewing, strengthening, preserving, and bringing joy. This Jesus remains the heart of the Christian message, the focus of Christian worship, and the fountain of the Christian life. Other things may change. This does not. What is Packer talking about? Galatians 1, verse 6. Let's look at this. Let's eat it up word at a, word, word at a time, phrase at a time. Galatians 1, 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. That word astonished is this fact that something has happened that Paul marvels at. He, he didn't expect this. He's astonished that this happened. It's almost incomprehensible to him that it's happened. And he says that you are so quickly deserting him. 
Remember that Paul is writing to a group of churches that have not been Christians for very long. These churches have not been around very long, and so quickly they are turning away from the Lord. They are turning away from the gospel. You think about the Old Testament stories of how God brings the people out of Egypt. The Exodus happens, and how long does it take after the Exodus for the Israelites to begin to turn to other gods? Not very many pages in your Bible. It seems to happen so quickly. You find parables of Jesus that allude to this. You find places around the world where people will turn to Christ and so quickly heresies and false teachings will come into those groups. You think about maybe your own life or people you know. You go to camp and someone trusts in Jesus for salvation and then it feels like a couple of weeks or a couple of months later you can't find that person. It feels like so quickly what does Paul say they've done? He says that they have deserted, that they have turned away from him who called you in the grace of Christ. Don't miss this here. Paul is not talking about people who are battling through doubts. People, Paul's not talking about people who are struggling. He is talking about when you have turned, you're not just turning away from Paul. You're not just turning away from a religious institution. You are turning away from God himself. That to desert, that to go after another teaching, to go after another way, is, is not just turning your back on a person. It's turning your back on the one who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, in the ancient world, this is true today, but this is particularly true in the ancient world. In the ancient world, if someone forgave your debt or if someone gave you a great gift, to turn your back on a benefactor was one of the greatest signs of disrespect imaginable. Imagine that you have a great debt. You're carrying education debt. You're carrying medical debt. You're carrying some type of debt in your life. And someone comes along and they freely give you a gift to pay off all of your debt. And then a few months or a few years later, you turn your back on that person. We would consider that great dishonor, wouldn't we? You multiply that a thousand times, and in the ancient world, that was the type of dishonor. That was the type of desertion that's happening here. Look at the rest of the part of verse 6 here. He says that in deserting him and turning from him, you are in fact turning to a different gospel. And then very quickly he clarifies. It was common in ancient rhetoric that you would make a point and then purposely clarify yourself, pur purposely correct yourself, so that you are turning to a different gospel. And then very quickly, verse 7, he says, actually, not that there is such a thing as another gospel. There's no other gospel for Paul. It's not like you pick between gospel A and gospel B. He says that if you have turned from the grace of Christ, if you have turned from Christ, there's nothing else of good news to turn to. This is not picking options. You are deserting the Lord at this time. And very specifically, he says there are some, not all, but there are some who are troubling you. Now, trouble is a really interesting word here. It's a word that has to do with shaking something. The word trouble is the opposite of peace. The word trouble here is the opposite of peace. It's this idea of what blessing was God giving his people in, in Christ. He was giving them grace and peace. The peace that Jesus had promised to people who trusted in him these people are coming in and they are troubling. They are shaking up that peace. It's also a word in scripture that's often used with people who cause division. 
who caused disruptions in a group. So, so imagine the scenario here. Paul has come in and he has preached a good news of grace and peace. God's grace and peace given through Jesus. And the people receive this and it not only creates peace in their lives, but it creates peace in their relationships and in their church. And then another group come in and they begin to teach something else. And it disrupts that peace. It shakes people up. Inside, they're falling apart. And as a church, they're falling apart. He says, they have come in and they've troubled you. How have they troubled you? Into verse 7. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word distort in some of the older translations might say pervert. Uh, I think newer translations go after that, go away from that word because it carries connotations in contemporary life. But it's the idea of twisting something. So Paul says these people who are coming in and teaching something else and troubling you, they are twisting the gospel of Christ. What does it mean that they are twisting the gospel of Christ? Well, to be honest with you, it's going to take another 14 weeks of working through the book of Galatians because that's what Galatians does for us. It shows us what it means that they are twisting the gospel. So if you'll be patient with me, we're going to work through that question of how are they distorting the gospel? How are they twisting the gospel? But if we just lay it out in the simplest terms, they are diminishing the importance and the power of Christ. And they are diminishing the importance and the power of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, they are saying that faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to change you is not enough. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the laws of of the Torah, of the Jews. That coming to Christ, what Christ has done for you, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is not enough to be made worthy of God's salvation, to be made right with God. They are twisting that. They are distorting that. What does Paul say about that in verse 8? He says, but even if we, so if we came back to you, he's visiting before, he said, if we come back, or even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now this reference to an angel is really interesting here. It seems like the Galatians were very susceptible to impressive messengers who would come with these new teachings. And Paul says that the impressiveness, that was bad, the impressiveness of the messenger doesn't make the message right. It's the message that matters. And he says if someone comes to you and they have a great type of teaching, they have a higher type of teaching, that doesn't necessarily mean that what they are saying is right. But particularly in the Old Testament, the angels, and, and don't, get the, don't miss this because it, it helps us make sense of what's going on in Galatians. Angels were seen as givers of the law. So when you look at Galatians 3.19 or you look at other places in Scripture, angels were seen as givers of the law. What are the false teachers trying to do to the Galatians? They're trying to get them to follow the law. They're trying to say, unless you follow all of the law, unless you're circumcised, unless you do these things, you can't be saved. Paul says, even if the angels who gave that law came and spoke to you another gospel, don't believe it. Now, that principle is really important in the 21st century, right? (laughs) People follow false teachings because they are overwhelmed by how impressive the messenger, the speaker, seems. Or they follow false teachings because it seems higher It seems more impressive. It seems more spiritual. 
But anything that takes you away from Christ is not the gospel. Anything that takes you away from Christ, Paul says, actually puts you under a curse. That really, really intense language at the end, let him be a curse, that anathema that is pronounced, that curse that's pronounced. In the area of Galatia in the ancient world, curses were common. (laughs) So if you were in an athletic competition, guess what? You cursed your opponent. You put a curse on your opponent, either through ritual or through magic. Uh, If you didn't like somebody who was competing for your job at work, what'd you do? You put a curse on them. If you wanted political power and somebody else wanted political power, you put a curse on them. If you were disloyal to the emperor, a curse would be placed on you. This was common in, in Paul's world, but especially what Paul is doing, he's drawing on this Old Testament idea that things that are unholy, things that are opposed to God, are set aside for destruction. And so very simply, Paul says that if you are turning from the gospel, if you are turning from Christ, if your hope is being placed in anything else, you find yourself cursed. You find yourself under this divine curse. Look what happens in verse 9. He says, as we have said before, Uh, scholars are torn between as we have said before does that refer back to verse 8 like I literally just said this or is he probably saying hey I told you this when I was with you like as we said before when we were with you now we're going to repeat again for you as we said before so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received let him be accursed I want to say this carefully because I could be misunderstood and and even how we do church could be misunderstood, but, but hear me out on this. When it comes to the Christian gospel, when it comes to the good news of Jesus, novelty is not a good thing. This idea that someone would come along and say, hey, I've got something new to tell you or something you've never seen before that is greater than everything you ever heard before, just a huge red flag should go up in your mind at a time like that. We live in a world where in order to sell things or in order to impress people, you always have to come up with something new. Those of you that are in business, those of you who are in different areas of sales, you're always trying to find a new product, you're always trying to find a new spin, you're always trying to think of a new way. In Christianity, the gospel that we proclaim today is the gospel of the New Testament, is the gospel of the apostles, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If someone comes up with a new gospel, that is not a good thing. Run from that. What is this gospel received? What is this hope? Well, we we sang about it earlier on purpose as our last song going into this this time of looking at God's word. Let me put a couple of verses in front of you that I think will be really important for understanding what it means to hold on to the gospel that's been received. First place I would put you is Isaiah chapter 52. Now, Isaiah, a couple of years, it may take us a couple of years down the road to get there, but I really look forward to going through the book of Isaiah with you because Isaiah, in many ways, is the Old Testament gospel. When you think about the word gospel and you think about your Old Testament, Isaiah is really your centerpiece there. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, gospel, who proclaim peace. Notice that word peace there and how important that is for what we talked about earlier. Who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. A verse you might have read this week out of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And let let me show you some key verses out of 1 Corinthians 15. When you think about the gospel being received, like Galatians 1 says, 1 Corinthians 15 is your friend. This, This is your connection point. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. There is no other hope of salvation. This is your hope. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, don't don't turn to anything else. Don't go anywhere else because there is no other good news. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And then look at verses 3 through 5. For what I received, so what Paul received from the Lord... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Emmaus, when we think about holding on to the gospel, when we think about the good news of Jesus, that's our hope. We don't come up with something new. We don't look somewhere else. That is the foundation of our hope. And so we have to be on guard against anything that would try to distort that, anything that would try to twist that. I want to show you something that's been really, really helpful for me in thinking about what might it look like to distort the gospel? What would it mean to run after another gospel? There's a a ministry out of uh, the Metroplex, the DFW area, called Watchman Fellowship. James Walker, who runs Watchman, has actually been here at Emmaus a couple of years ago to do some things for us, and he has a really easy math formula that he teaches, and and I like this because it's so easy to remember and hold on to and make sense of the gospel. He says, oh dear, my little spirit got moved to the next line there and doesn't look good. That's going to kill my people pleaser OCD self, but that's okay. (laughs) Hang tight with me. Um, He says, be on guard against anything that adds to the Bible. So does somebody say, in order to know God, it's okay that you have the Bible, it's good that you have a Bible, but you need this book, and this book, and this additional scripture. Anything that adds to the Bible, red flag goes up. Anything that subtracts from Jesus, or says Jesus is not fully God, not fully human, not fully the one that brings salvation. If anything takes away from Jesus, big red flag goes up. Anything that multiplies the requirements for salvation, so in order to be saved, you have to do X, Y, and Z on top of trusting in Jesus, big red flag. And then divide. Anything that divides the body of Christ, someone comes along and says, unless you're a part of our little group, you're really not a Christian. Big red flag goes up. As followers of Jesus in the 21st century, We have to be on guard against false teaching. We have to be aware of those things. Why? Because we're super bigoted, divisive people? No, because our hope is in Christ. And we believe that outside of Christ, there's no hope for sin and death to be dealt with. That he is our hope. He is our gospel. He is the good news. So if it adds to the Bible, if it subtracts from Christ, if it multiplies the requirements for salvation, or it divides up the body of Christ, be very discerning. And there are some good discernment websites and, and, and ministries out there. I would also tell you, be very discerning about the people that call themselves discernment ministries or discernment blogs, because many times they can 
begin to take you further from Christ. They can take you away from the gospel. So even in those cases, be discerning. Now, it takes us to verse 10. We're going to land the plane here. Verse 10. On the basis that the gospel doesn't change, what does Paul say? He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What does it mean here when Paul talks about pleasing man versus pleasing God? Paul, because of his ministry, was being accused by the opponents of changing his message depending on who he talked to. So you have places in Paul's writings where he talked about trying to be all things to all people. So what happens is these opponents come into Galatia and they start to tell the Galatian believers, hey, you know Paul, when he came to you, he just wanted you to receive him. He just wanted you to like him. And so he didn't tell you that you need to follow the law in order to be made right with God. Paul only gave you half the message. He didn't tell you the whole thing because he just wanted to please you. He just wanted you to receive him. And then when Paul goes and hangs out with the Jewish people, oh yeah, he's totally Jewish then. He's Jewish all the way. He just says what he needs to say in order to be liked, in order to be received. Now, can you imagine living in a world where people just do certain things or say certain things in order to be liked and received by people? Can you imagine such a world? Uh, yeah, I can because in many ways we live in that world, don't we? Where I'm just going to do what I need to do in order to be received. I'm just going to say what the people want me to say in order to, let's just be honest, get their vote, get their approval, get them on my side. What makes Paul different here? When you read the letters of Paul and when you watch the ministry of Paul and Paul talks about pleasing others, he does use that language in places. When he talks about pleasing others or putting others first, it's always to advance the gospel and never to be used for his personal advantage. And he doesn't change the message in those situations. The two things that set Paul apart when he talks about loving and caring and pleasing others, being all things to all people, he says, I'm not doing that for my personal advantage. I'm doing it so that they would hear the message of the gospel. And I'm not going to change the message just to get those people to like me and receive me. My message of the gospel doesn't change. People-pleasing is built on this idea of popularity and power. When we think about following into people-pleasing and we think about the way that works in our lives, we want to be liked, we want to be received, and we also especially want to be liked by those who are in power, by those who can help us gain something. Now, how does that work itself out in our lives? This isn't as much the case as it was maybe 10 or 20 years ago but there is a form of Christianity, and let's just say it's not the real form of Christianity, where people would connect their lives with the church because it was good for their business, or it was good for their standing with their family, or it was good for their political campaign. They were using Christianity, they were connecting themselves with the church, not out of love for the Lord, but because of what they would gain for it. It was pleasing to other people at one time in our culture. Maybe that's fast disappearing. But it was pleasing to people if you could show yourself to be connected to the church. Advance your business, 
gain political office, and press your family or your future in-laws or whatever the case might be. Paul says that's dangerous. We, we don't go down that road. We don't use the Lord for personal gain. There's also a form of people-pleasing that can even happen inside the church. This is the idea of we stop advancing the gospel because we want to make sure that the people who have power, the people who have been around for a while, that they're pleased. So what does this look like potentially? This is when the youth group gets obsessed about reaching their friends who are far from Jesus. And in the process of doing that, they're worried about doing that because of how people in the church are going to think about that. What happens if kids come who don't look like the other kids? What happens if kids come and begin to cause trouble? You may have seen this even in churches you've been a part of. The gospel is advancing, but it only advances so far because people are worried about offending other people in the church who have power or influence. This is the idea of a missionary who goes out and begins to establish the gospel and establish churches. And she's told, no, you can't do that because it doesn't look like a church. It doesn't look American enough or wide enough or that's not what church should look like. And the gospel is advancing, but it's cut off because of fear of pleasing people who have power and influence in particular areas. The persons who li- whose life falls apart and they hit rock bottom and they're scared to turn to the church because of what people will say about them and whether or not they'll be received, What does Paul say about all of that? Look at this beautiful line at the end of verse 10. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says, at the end of the day, my devotion is to Jesus. My devotion is to proclaiming and displaying Jesus. And I'm going to do whatever it takes under the word of God to make that happen. That as a church family, we commit to the fact that we don't exist to be popular. We're not changing the message to be popular or accepted or fit in. We're also not going to shy away from advancing the gospel just to please people that we might fear, please people who might have influence or power. Our only hope, our only desire is to serve Christ. Let me put two questions in front of you that you can think about as we pray together here at the end. Two questions to consider here at the end. Number one, do you know the freedom from sin, death, and the freedom from people-pleasing that Jesus provides? If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're unsure about your hope and your identity, and you spend too much of your life trying to make other people happy, and it just is killing the joy in your life, can I tell you there's hope in Jesus? Turn to him, trust in him, experience his peace and his mercy and his hope and salvation. And then this question, what is an area in your life where pleasing people and serving Christ are in conflict? What has God called you to do? What is God doing in your life, but you find it hard to press forward in that because ultimately at the end of the day, you're more concerned with popularity or power, or not pleasing those around you. We use this quote sometimes in Emmaus just because I find it particularly helpful. It comes from Larry Hurtado, who's a pastor in California on the West Coast. Um, Larry says, we have no one to impress, nothing to prove, only Jesus to serve. I don't know about you guys, but 
with everything going on in our world and where we are, I don't want us to spend our time as a church worried about who we're impressing. I don't want us to spend our time as a church trying to prove things to people around us. I want us to spend time as a church serving Jesus. That's what I want to give my life to. That's what I want our church to be about. And I believe that's exactly what God's doing here. Let's pray together, and we're going to make that commitment together as we wrap up. Father, I pray for for people who might be watching at home. God, I pray that if there's anyone watching, anyone listening who has never trusted in Jesus, that they would trust in him. God, that they would know that he has taken care of their sin. He has taken care of the power of death. He has taken on all of that. And God, instead of living our life trying to impress other people, instead of living our life trying to please others, God, that we would find freedom in Christ to live for you. And God, I pray as a church, as we think about moving ahead, as we think about not turning away from the gospel, not running after other things, but staying devoted to the gospel that's been received and passed down through your words, we think about that and what it looks like to advance that in the world. God, help us as a church not to be drawn toward popularity. Help us as a church not to be drawn toward power. Our devotion, our commitment as a church is to serve Christ. And that means putting other people first. That means living in a way that's not offensive. That means living in a way that pleases others, but not for our own advantage, but to advance the gospel. To live in such a way that other people would hear and know the good news of Jesus. And God, I pray that you would do that work here at Emmaus, and we commit ourselves to that. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.